When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to a very unusual episode of Argyle Chat. There's obviously plenty to talk about at the moment, so me and Chris have come together, but don't worry, it's via the phone to record this episode. Before we start, it's worth pointing out that because we're currently working remotely, we don't have all the same equipment and the same software as usual, so apologies that there's no intro and outro to this podcast. It's very raw, it's very basic, but we just want to bring you some updates. So good afternoon, Chris. How's life going in what's a very odd time at the moment? Yes, it's weird times for everyone isn't it first of all i hope everyone is well look after yourself and um i wish you all the very best and like jack says it's it's a chance to to talk football for a little bit there's an awful lot more important serious things going on in the world we we emphasized that on the podcast on monday didn't we jack but we thought if we had a had a chat on a friday we could talk about a few of the developments that have happened during the course of the week touch on a couple of other subjects and hopefully um get you into the weekend you know talking about football which after all is a big part i think of all of our lives definitely and apologies to people that were expecting a facebook live obviously we would have done one but we're working from home now and with social distancing and whatnot, we can't be seen to be uh, putting out all these stories on our website, people, what they should and shouldn't do, and then ignoring that ourselves. So we are working remotely. So uh, apologies for those no Facebook Live. That's why we're doing this, and hopefully um, we can carry on doing this as, as the weeks and uh, go on. Yep. So, so, Chris, there was an update by the EFL. We'll start with that um, recently, which confirmed that the season has now been suspended until April the 30th. Yes. And, you know, there's no... There's no guarantee that it will definitely start then, but at the moment there's another, what, five, six weeks to go until any potential chance of football restarting. Yes, it's going to be a long while, unfortunately, isn't it? So, um, I mean, to put that into perspective, Jack, uh, April the 25th, I think, was the date that the uh, EFL season was meant to end. So um, uh, it means that nine games have effectively been postponed. Um, As you rightly say, none of us know. Uh, when football's going to return, you know, it'd be fantastic if it was April the 30th, but, you know, that is going to be dictated to by events uh, around the country and in the world. So uh, I think it's almost pointless speculating on when football might return. It will return when the conditions are ready to allow it to return. So the health and, and well-being of everyone is, is the most important thing, isn't it? So um, it, um, it, you know, it's, it's a holding statement. Uh, it allows the league, the Premier League, the FA. Can you imagine what sort of conversations are going on behind the scenes uh, between them, between the government, between various agencies, between broadcasters? You know, the ramifications of this are huge, aren't they? And uh, there must be an awful lot going on behind the scenes. Um, and then we'll see what um, what happens in due course. One thing just to add, Jack, is that just before we recorded this um, this podcast, um, the rugby season has, has been cancelled for all clubs um, apart from in the Premiership, the top division in rugby. Uh, the seasons that ended um, in, in rugby, um, but the Premier League, FA and the EFL seemed very committed in their statement on Wednesday. They seemed very committed to finishing the 2019-20 season when appropriate. 
And obviously that's now more doable because obviously Euro 2020 has been postponed a year. Yeah. You had tickets for one of those games. Uh, I'm sure we spoke briefly about it on Monday, but that was really the only doable thing, wasn't it? Yeah, completely sensible option, isn't it? And um, if it allows leagues the chance to finish their seasons, it's only the right thing to do. And and in the big picture, in the grand scheme of things, you can you can delay the Euros for 12 months and yeah, there's bound to be a knock-on effect of that. Of course there is, but that seems like the uh, that seems like an, a sensible, obvious um, decision to make. I was thinking, it's quite... Lucky is not the right word, but, um, you know, when there's World Cups, for example... You know, there are certain scenarios where it gets hosted in countries where certain stadiums have to be built for it. So, mm. in a way, it's quite lucky. And again, not, I'm not sure that's the right word, but mm. that this tournament was at a place where stadiums were already built, and this hasn't been done just for you know these games because that could have been much worse, couldn't it, financially for, for economies and whatnot? Yeah, if one country had been trying to stage a major tournament on their own and they'd built you know five or six new stadia and had expected mm. them to be be in use this summer. And then we're going to have to wait 12 months before they were used for the purpose they were built. Then, um, yeah, I would have thought that would have had, um, you know, significant uh, challenges. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, again, it's right, I think, that the EFL have um, sort of reiterated the fact they are committed to finishing the season. Because we spoke before, again, briefly about the, the financial ramifications of promotion, relegation. You know, it's one thing to say, you know, end the Premier League and Liverpool can have a title. But, you know, there's relegation places at stake. Where we know how much the money drops from the Premier League to the Championship and again from the Championship to League One. So these things have to be decided really, don't they? In a, in a, in a perfect world, yes. Um, again, as we sit here, it's difficult to say anything is going to happen absolutely for certain, but it does sound as though the football authorities want to get this season done. And that was... That would be the much preferable uh, option for for all of us, I think. Um, and it would be fair. Um, yeah, it's going to be difficult to resume a season, and and some teams may be more uh, disadvantaged than others in terms of turnaround of fixtures and things like that. But I think that's the. It looks like the only option, you know, cancelling the season completely, or stopping it as the tables are now doesn't seem fair or right but um you know so hopefully we'll get to a stage at some point where the season can be finished and if it means next season starts later or next season got to be shorter or no cup competition next season then i think that's the best thing don't you yeah definitely and and i'm sure those discussions will already be being spoken about uh, and we'll hear about in due course you know it's hard the EFL or any of the bodies sort of plan they don't know when it's going to start again it's sort of a weird one for everyone that's in a decision making sort of uh, role I, I wouldn't have thought there's um there's a guidebook anywhere as to how to deal with this situation uh, in football in life in general um, it's it's taking it day it's a cliche isn't it but taking it day by day and dealing with the uh, the situations that that faces you know face you and you've got a few more episodes of The Voice to watch in the coming weeks then. I'm sure you're happy about that. <laughs> Does that go on forever? Oh, it probably 
seems like it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ryan Lowe also came out with a statement this week. Um, mm. First of all, you know, wish it, wishing people well, didn't he? Yes, he did, yeah. He was, um, echoed the sentiments of Simon Hallett, um, whose statement was on Wednesday, and, you know, encouraging people to follow the government advice and look after themselves. And, uh, yeah, so that is the most important thing at the moment, is that we all look out after each other and, uh, you know, look out for other, each other and um you know work our way through this 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 really really challenging time so um i thought it was a good statement from from ryan Lowe. he you know made a few points which were interesting in terms of argyle and um yeah it was good for, good to hear from him also before we go into the specifics of what he said you know it's also good when you've got some sort of leader at a club and someone you know a lot of fans look up to ryan Lowe, don't they respect him a lot and I think it, it does it does good for morale as well of, of football fans. And again, reiterate the point that we know football in comparison to a lot of things is, is quite small on people's radars. But for those that are involved in it and for those that follow it, it's good to see a manager that people respect come out and say something like that. Absolutely, yeah. And for all the bad things that are happening around the world at the moment, I think it is important that we, we try and take our minds off things and football can be a distraction for us and it's not everyone's cup of tea of course not but if if you're you know football is a big part of your life you know to be able to talk about it think about it you know watch you know tv highlights or wh- whatever it is um i think is important and it, it you know can be a a good thing and that's one of the reasons why we're, we're going to try and do a, a few more podcasts, isn't it, Jack? Just so that we can we can all get our football fix. You know, it will be in a in a different way. That's because you know, even when you know, if you're not involved in a, in a normal season, I'm talking about, if you're not involved in a playoff campaign and there's no international tournament in the summer, even though you have maybe a month or two where there's no games, there's still things to talk about. There's player transfer speculation, yeah. but this is a weird time where there's just nothing. And it, it feels very odd with my football fan hat on, and you're a football fan as well, yeah. as a journalist. It's a very odd scenario where there's just nothing really to talk about. Yeah, no, it, what transfer speculation are you going to talk about? It's, um, yeah, it's it's a completely new um, situation for all of us. Um, I do think Ryan Lowe, you know, made a, a couple of interesting points, um, and I think we can perhaps touch on them now, maybe. Yeah, yeah, one, one of which was about the, the fact that players were doing mini pre-season and that's something that I've been thinking about actually you know it's all well and good saying games will start again on the 30th but it's how players after what could turn out to be longer than what they would normally have in the summer you know of not playing games how they get their fitness back up again Yes so um, our girls head of fitness and conditioning John Lucas has given each of their players their own personal training programme now I don't know the the, the why fors and, and whatever's of, of that but um They'll be working away to that, um, and so it's not perfect. It's not going to be ideal, but it's something that they can be doing just to to keep themselves ticking over at the moment. Uh, but interesting that uh, Ryan Lowe made reference to a mini pre-season, and I think that's players are going to need that. They they can't just go from not having any games for uh, an extended period to to suddenly having nine really important league games to finish in what is inevitably going to be a short short period of time. And I would have thought you're looking Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday to try and get all the games in. So I think that's one thing we need to perhaps bear in mind is that when people say, well, professional football could return on such and such a date, I'm not sure that necessarily means, and I could be wrong, but does that automatically mean that's when games would resume? Or does that mean that's when 
players can return to training and and you can um, start arranging. You know, they might need a pre-season game or two or something like that. You know, to to get up and running. I, that's all. I think still to be uh, to become clear, isn't it? Do, don't, you think, thing, don't you think they're going to need a pre-season game or two or something? Surely, or I don't know how it works. Well, I, I've sort of taken from that, and this is this is just how I've taken it. So I could be wrong. That mm. the games would start from April the thirtieth, which it might mean, you know, that before then, and depending how the situation goes, it, there might be a case where people are allowed to sort of, in certain work scenarios, get back together, and maybe they could do some things behind closed doors in the stadium. Mm. That might happen beforehand. They have a, a week or two before then, but again. We just don't know at this moment in time. It, no. It's an interesting one. And I remember a few months ago, I think it was, or maybe you know, a month ago, you made the point before all this happened with coronavirus that you're going to get to a stage because there's only one team getting relegated from League Two where there's going to be a lot of teams with nothing to play for. Yeah. Well, now you're wondering, are those teams that already know they've got nothing to play for, are they really going to come back and top fitness? And Do you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, when, no. when all the coronavirus thing's dead and buried, mm. you know, you've got, you've got this whole sort of situation where there's a lot to play for and it, teams are going to be in very different mindsets, I think, when they do return. Yeah, good point, Jack. Yeah, um, that's a good point and we'll see how that unfolds. But yeah, they, they could have a different approach and maybe think, think long-term, well, we need to be careful now because the new season will be starting in probably quicker than normal and we need to peak for that maybe rather than the end of a season when we, we know we're we're in mid-table and you know safe sort of thing so yeah good point I hadn't thought of that and, and that's the thing as well you know if the season does start on April the 30th even if you've got games coming thick and fast I just can't imagine I really can't imagine I'd be shocked if it got to the stage where the next season would start on time I can't see a situation where no. that wouldn't have to be delayed in some way so. no, I, I can't I can't we're no experts, are we, Jack? We're just, you know, two guys talking football in Plymouth, but I can't see how that could possibly... I can't see how next season would start on time. But one thing that Ryan Lowe also did mention in his statement, that he's uh, keeping himself busy by studying, so he's not certainly not wasting his time, although he did mention as well that, you know, he's, he's spending time with his family as well. And, you know, for people... You know, I, I've seen on some talk shows, actually, that this is there's a lot of negativity at the moment for obvious reasons, there's a lot of worry, there's a lot of anxiety, but... I've also seen some people saying, you know, I know it's not ideal being at home and children being sent home from school, which will come into p- place, but when else in life do you have time for? You're not all rushing. And maybe there can be some good that you can spend time with your family that you don't normally get to spend. So it's, it's good to sort of have that balance if possible, isn't it? Absolutely. No, I mean, to me, family's all important, always, but particularly at the moment, isn't it? I think we could probably all agree on that. And, um, yeah, we will be seeing more of our loved ones and, and we're perhaps... Uh, than we're perhaps used to. As uh, in terms of his qualifications and studying, Jack. I mean, he's he's. I know he's been working on his UEFA Pro license, which is the top coaching badge that you can get. Uh, and so, yeah, he mentioned the fact that he was working away at that, looking at uh, you know video clips of games and trainings and and all that sort of stuff. And that will be um, a, very good for him to to qualify for that. But clearly, Argyle will benefit uh, from that as well, having someone who is as 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 well qualified as you can be in the world of football. And I noticed in his in his statement he, he one of the things that I know stood out to me is the fact he said it will make him a better man- manager, you know. And it's always nice when managers have that sort of attitude that they can always improve and keep going, you know. And I, I think that's a it's a good way to be, isn't it? That you always want to improve and continue to get better. And like you said, that can only be good for Argyle. Yeah, he whenever you talk to him he's always talking about getting better. The team getting better, him getting better. So um that's definitely one of the uh the sort of philosoph- philosophies that he um adopts in his life. 
And as you mentioned, Simon Hallett released a statement the day before on the Wednesday. Um, I think he said that Argyle are in a better position than most clubs in his statement. They need to deal with the, the, the hit that COVID-19 will have on the club. And that, that's reassuring, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, again, it's it almost seems pointless trying to speculate how much money this will cost football clubs, Argyle or what have you, because no one knows how long this is going to go on. No one knows the, the consequences of what's going on at the moment, the long-term consequences. So trying to put numbers, figures or anything like that is pointless in my opinion. Um, clearly, it, it will have a significant financial impact on... When we finish this podcast, Jack, I'm, I'm writing a story about Simon Hallett and the leadership that he's providing at the football club, not only financially, but in other areas as well. And um, uh, hopefully, uh, if you get a chance um, to, to have a look on the, the Plymouth Live website and uh, see it, it should be up uh, by close of play Friday at the very latest, all being well. Um, I, I think that you know Argyle are very fortunate to have somebody like Simon Hallett around at the moment. Um, so yes, uh, you know, f- for the fans, I think it has to be reassuring that um, that he's providing that um, not just financial support, but but leadership. And you need leadership at times like this. But as well, you know, it's you, you're quite right that you can't just put. In- you know, blanket numbers on things. No one really knows the exact cost, but there will be a lot of fans up and down the country worrying that their clubs will collapse because of this. And as, as we touched on, you know, football isn't just a game on Saturday. It's a thing that brings families together. You know, for example, in my life, it's the one thing that me and my dad really have in common. It's the only thing we really have in common. So that's, you know, there's, there's much more examples of it just being a 90-minute game of football on the pitch, isn't it? It's people's lives. And we've seen after Barry's collapse how much that can devastate people when something like that happens. And I'm not even talking about people's jobs you know that's a whole other issue but yeah. it's so much more than the game isn't it and people will be rightly concerned that their clubs won't make it so if that son has come out and say that i think that would be very reassuring for many and you know look at the work like for example that the argyle community trust do in the community um mm-hmm. you know my son uh, uh, goes to some of their activities you go anywhere around devon and cornwall and the community trust have been very active and I'm sure there will be uh, when when things ho- you know get back to normal. Hopefully, you know sooner rather than later. But um, again, the Argyle Community Trust, the work they do in the community, the opportunities they give for people, the the exercise, the uh, options to meet different people to improve themselves. It's it's. I genuinely believe that Plymouth Argyle not just is important to the Green Army and the fans, but to the whole of the city and, and even to the region. You know, when it does well, there are a lot of spin-offs for a lot of people who might not necessarily consider themselves as Argyle fans. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll have a little quick break now and then we'll come back and we'll discuss some um, football fans' best Argyle memories. Yes. Hello and welcome to the second part of the latest podcast. So Chris, you put out a tweet asking people for their first or best Argyle memories. We've got a fair few replies, so I think we'll just work away through them, won't we? Yeah, yeah, let's go for it, Jack. So Nick of PAFC Displays, Nick Tomlinson, who we know quite well, he's been on the, on the podcast before. Yeah. He said, my dad has been taking me to Argyle since 1992. However, my earliest memory is being mascot in the 1995-96 season when we took on Wigan at Home Park. It was the same day Argyle held a minute silence for Alan Nichols. Now, that was before your time, am I right in saying, Chris? Um, well, it's interesting because I, I haven't had a chance to check this one out, but I'm pretty sure 
But uh, that might have been the first game I saw at Home Park after I joined the Herald as a sports reporter. So I wasn't covering. Oh, really? Wasn't covering it for. Our, uh, I wasn't covering it for the Herald. I think I literally just. I, I, I might have even been like the first weekend after I'd moved down to Plymouth. So. Um, I was new in the city. I was probably, you know, looking for something to do on the weekend because I wasn't working. Uh, and I'm pretty sure, and Nick might, might remember this one and we can uh, discuss it at some point in time in the future. But at the time, Wigan were um, spending, it was a sort of start of Wigan's rise up through the ranks. Um, and I'm pretty sure Roberto Martinez was one of three Spaniards who were playing for Wigan. All I think one was called Diaz, and the older listeners might remember. I'm doing this off the top of my head. So, um, But there was three Spaniards, and Roberto Martinez, who went on, obviously, to manage uh, Swansea and Everton, and is the Belgian manager now. He played at home park that day, I'm sure. Um, in fact, if you just waffle a minute back, Jack, I'll just have a quick look. I've got a record book here. I can... Uh, well, answer the question in two seconds. So your memory is much better than mine. Um, I'll quickly talk about... Um, I'm back. Nick mentioned... I'm oh, back. You're back already. I was going to say, Nick mentioned being a, a mascot. I remember I was a mascot for one Burnley away game. It was one of the most terrifying things I've ever done. Yeah, so... Um, so there we go. This is... In, I'm indebted to uh, Andy Riddle's Plymouth Argyle, the modern era, a complete record for this. So all credit where credit is deserved. Uh, the 9th of December, 1995. So, yeah, that would have been my first Saturday in Plymouth. Argyle played Wigan in front of 5,931 people. Uh, they won 3-1. Martin Barlow got uh, an eighth-minute goal. Wigan equalised soon afterwards. And then Adrian Littlejohn scored in the 75th and 88th minutes. The good thing about Andy's book, and, and anyone who's got it will, will, will appreciate this, is that not only does he lift, list the scorers, but he gives both teams... And then a little write-up about the game. So he goes, Wigan are undefeated in eight matches under new boss, John Deham, but meet their match in Little John. His second comes after he races clear from halfway. The striker is made captain for the day by the superstitious Warnock, who thinks Argyle always lose when Heathcote is skipper. Which seems a bit harsh. And and just looking at the the Wigan team, Jack, um, Diaz, yes, Martinez. So there's two of them. So I was nearly right. Your 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 memory is freakishly good, I must say, compared to mine. Anyway. Well, yeah, I can't. Oh, as I always say, I can never remember the important stuff. Though that's the. Um, so, would, so when you were at that game, then you wouldn't have known that twenty five years later <laughs> you'd uh, you'll be going to own park. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, a lot of ups and downs in that time. Well, thanks, thanks, Nick, for that memory. Well done, that, Nick. That's, that's a good one. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, David Stevens said his favourite match was against Exeter City, and it finished three-two to Argyle mm-hmm. in the Championship season. Yep. That incredible. Was... Yep. Incredible scenes when Stonebridge scored that late goal, and it was the start of Argyle's incredible run. Rena Keith's late goal at Swindon also lives long in memory. Yes, so when David says about that uh, game, that was in the um, 01-02 season when Argyle ended up getting promoted from what was Division 3, is now League 2, with 102 points, which, uh, you know, that was... When you look back at it, 102 points in a season, that takes some doing, doesn't it? Um, So it shows you how strong that Argyle team was. Um, And just looking through the the book again, as I've got it easy to 
to mention. Uh, David sort of mentioned the background to it, but it was the 18th of September 2001. Um, and the Argyle team, Roman Larrier, David Worrell, John Bed Retherick, David Frio, Paul Watson, Graham Cochran, Martin Phillips, Steve Adams, Nicky Evans, Nicky Banger, and Brian McGlinchey and Lee Hodges and Ian Stonebridge, who scored that late, late winning goal, um, were the subs. So that was the Argyle team on duty. I do remember that day, you know, day. It was a Tuesday night. How can you forget it when, you know, Argyle win a Devon Derby with a with a 90th minute match winner? Would you believe that, that was, it was the season after that that I started going? So I missed that by a year. I missed that 102 point season, sadly. Well, you, you, that was a good one you missed, I, I have to say. Um, that was, uh, you know, those are, are games that I'm sure the the uh, the slightly older listeners among the podcast regulars will uh, remember well because uh, that was that was definitely one that that sticks in in the mind and there's no doubt about that. I was just trying to check the Marino Keith one as well that David mentioned because that was one where Argyle were were two nil up. Um, was it the o three o four season if I if I remember? But I'm just having a look see if I can find out. Yeah, there it is. Um, 13th of December 2003 and Argyle were leading. 2-0 at Swindon um, with goals from Tony Capaldi and uh, David Norris and then uh, they looked home and dry 2-0 in the 76th minute and then uh, Rory Fallon got one back for, for Swindon in the 80th minute and then Sam Parkin in the 90th minute uh, and then uh, in the third minute of stoppage time uh, Swindon had a player sent off for a second yellow card and from the free kick Mickey Evans flicked the ball on for Marino Cleave Keith to slot home from 20 yards. Again, that's um, indebted to Andy Riddle's book for, for the details there. That's uh, not um, ridiculous memory on my part. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I do remember that. I do remember the Swindon fans singing, and I'm going to clean this one up because we've got a family audience, but 2 nil up and you've messed it up. Um, <laughs> singing that to the Argyle fans, and then you can imagine how the Argyle fans reacted when um, Marino Keith made it 3-2 with almost the last kick of the game. There's always memorable times when that happens. Definitely. Alan Wood, mm. this, this one is definitely before your time, Chris, and before mine. Yeah. Alan Wood said first game was versus Fulham in 1961. Right. A, friend, a friendly played on the fourth round FA Cup day. Both teams beaten in round three, so friendlies were arranged. Mm-hmm. Fulham led by Jay Hill, Chamberlain, Argyle 1-1-0. Still have the programme cooked for life. I think that's definitely the case for... No matter what year you go, you, you can very easily get hooked for life, can't you, when you go to a, a game? Your, your first game, is it can just make all the difference, can't it? And it just gives you that um, that experience of what football is all about. Um, yeah, Jimmy Hill, um, I haven't got <laughs> my reference books here. I would have thought that's George Curran, the uh, England World Cup uh, winner that was playing for Fulham that day as well. Uh, Johnny Haynes, who was a very... Uh, uh, successful England international back in the back in the day. So um, sorry, we're not quite as um, up to speed as that um, as we could be, Alan. But um, that must have been a big day. And uh, yeah, look what it's done. Nineteen sixty-one, and you're still supporting Argyle all these years later. And that's what you still remember, don't you? Whether you see players before they make it to the big time or afterwards, you know, you still remember seeing those players. I remember you saying, Chris, that. You saw a fair few players in some of the youth games you watched over the, over the times. Yeah. Was it was it against Portsmouth or something? And some of them went on to be quite big players. I can't remember now. Oh. But, but you do you do remember that, don't you? Those those youngsters when they're when they're young and then they go on to be something. Yeah, and, and and also I do remember one game. I mean, people I think 
quite a few people know that I'm a Crystal Palace fan uh, when I'm not working and I do remember my dad taking me along to see a game against Fulham, I think it was about 1976-1977, so I was obviously young, younger, youngish at the time, and um, George Best played for Fulham, and that was the, wow. only, that was the only time I ever saw him play uh, um, with, you know, when I was actually at a game. Now, he wasn't as good as he had been earlier in his career, but even then I was aware that George Best was like a, a world star, so... Um, um, I don't know if, can you hear my border collie in the background there, Jack? Barking away. <laughs> you don't normally get that in the office. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's someone at the front door, as the song goes, and um, he's got a bit excitable. But yeah, to see George Best, um, that's, that's stuck in my mind, and that, you know, you're, again, you're talking what 44 years ago. Scary stuff. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Another another memory. Mm. Matt said his first memory is the friendly with Birmingham in 1998. Mm-hmm. He said he got into football during the World Cup, and that was his first ever Argo game. Best would be walking out of the QPR game and shaking hands with their fans as we wish each other well after we just won Division Two. Yeah, there was a there was a lot of that that went on that day. I think I've I've heard a few sort of stories about how the fans um, were on side with each other. Yeah, both teams ended up being um, promoted, um, but you know there was quite a bit at stake that that day at Home Park in two thousand and four when. When Argyle won two nil, um, so the, the 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 Birmingham friendly I I, I can't recall, but um, uh, that was in the days where bigger clubs would quite often come down to Home Park and Plymouth and the South West and play play pre season games. So I suspect that was the case there. Um, but yeah, the QPR game you know was was a you know an amazing day. Speaks for itself for that one, doesn't it? Oh, it was it was fantastic. You know when David Frio went through and. Uh, Clipped the ball into the net at the Devonport end. Wow, that was, uh, you know, I know it's quite a while ago and the memory can play tricks with you, but if it's been louder at home park than the minute that ball went in the net, I'd, I'd be surprised. There's on the back of your neck movement, that. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Um, it's interesting, Matt also mentions the World Cup there, because again, those are the types of tournaments that can sometimes get people wanting to go to their local clubs, can't it? Cause yeah. I remember, I remember France 98 was the first, is the first World Cup that I can remember watching. Mm. Um, so interesting that you said that. Simon Veal said his favourite match has to be Bournemouth 3, Argyle 7 in 1975. Wow. Mar- Mariner and Rafferty on fire. John Delph, the hard-working captain, 5-0 up at half-time. Amazing game. The brilliant Tony Waiters team were the best I've witnessed in 63 years. So that's from Simon Veal, who's a janner living in Liverpool. Wow, that, that sounds like some game. I'm just having a look in Andy's book here and see if I can track that one down. But uh... you, do, you do remember some of the big scorers. Was it, was it Chesterfield with... Argyle beat 7 something yeah 7 7 nil, and I think weren't they about 5 or 6 nil up at half time and then they they sort of didn't get so many they might, in fact I think they were 5 nil up in something stupid like 20 minutes or something like that so, yeah but those games do stick in your head don't they yeah here we go Bournemouth um, so 11th of January 1975 so it was in the Division 3 season as under Tony Waiters um, and then the little biog in Andy's book, uh, Argyle travel to Dean Court in their new 25,000 state-of-the-art team coach. Neil Haig heads the managerless Cherry's only first-half chance wide. A uh, couple of own goals um, for the home side. Um, but I'm just trying to work out from Andy's records who would have scored the goal. So Rafferty got one, Mariner got two, Johnson got one. 
McCauley got one, John Delve got one, and Randall got one. So 7-3 in front of a crowd of 7,362. It's not often you'll, you'll see your team scoring seven goals on the road. No. No, that's, got, that's, that's a rarity, isn't it? Yeah. A real rarity. Really? But that, that, that's only way his team, obviously... Even well beyond me, Jack. But they finished um, second in the in the Division Three table that season. Uh, Fifty nine points for forty six games. Remember, of course, it was two points for for a win then. But uh, looking at their record, they scored uh, seventy nine goals in forty six games. And interestingly, forty one of those goals were away from home. So uh, they, wow. played, they played 23 away games and got 41 goals. So they, they were averaging nearly two goals a game away from home. Now, obviously, seven at Bournemouth helped. But, uh, but yeah, interesting nonetheless. Got, got their money's worth on the road, Argo fans. That's Definitely. Sure. Hmm. Martin Stolliday said, For me, Ian Stonebridge winner away at Exeter in 2001. I was 14. Wow. Roman Larry had an absolute blinder as well. Then my mum's window fell out of the car. It was breezy, but happy trip back down the A38. To which Alicia Stolliday, which could be his mum, I don't want to guarantee it is. Oh, it must said, be related. It didn't fall, it was pushed. Certainly right for parking in Exeter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, again, we, we referenced that game in 2001, but uh, but yeah, um, well, whatever happened, it, it, it would have been a happy trip back down the A38 that night. It's funny, isn't it, when you do go back... I remember going travelling back from some away games, and it's funny when you when you see flags or scarves hanging out the window, don't you? Sometimes, and yeah, that's that's always quite amusing. For me, my favourite game, without doubt, and it's weird because it didn't really mean anything in terms of the table. And you probably know which one I'm going to say because I think I might have mentioned it before. It's the Leicester away game after Ian Holloway left Argyle, yeah, and was was Leicester manager. And I remember being part of the crowd, and you know there was a lot of anger towards. Ian Holloway at that point and it felt fantastic as a, an angry fan to be part of such a big crowd shouting all the chants it's some of the loudest chants I ever remember at an away game I remember Peter Halmosi scoring that goal and the crowd going wild and it was it always feels fantastic doesn't it when you're in the away class you're in the minority in a big stadium as well as, as that one was is um, and, and you get a result and that, that just felt fantastic I, I don't know if there'll ever be a moment that'll get better than that for me because I, I love I love that game so much and that's what football's about. It's not just about the game itself. It's the occasion, the atmosphere, who you've gone to the game with, the personalities. Uh, that's why we love football. It, it is a game where 11 men or 11 people, men, women, children, whoever it is, are kicking a, a, a bit of air around, aren't they, really? And uh, But there's just so much more to it, and it, it gives us our, our fix. My favourite game... You know, I've been lucky to see loads of um, good Argyle games. Quite a few bad ones as well, I might add. But we've had some good ones along the way. The QPR one was was fantastic. The other one yeah. I'd perhaps pick out is the the playoff semi final against Portsmouth at Home Park, uh, the, the second leg. Now, um, it probably wasn't the greatest game of football I've ever seen, um, and ultimately it didn't lead to Argyle getting promoted because unfortunately they were beaten at Wembley by AFC Wimbledon. But uh, yeah. Who can forget Peter Hartley at the back post uh, in the last minute uh, to send Argyle to Wembley for only the second time in the club's history? It was uh, That was an amazing day. That's the thing. Again, it's the fact that the goal was in the last minute. It really does make a difference, doesn't it? And, you yeah. know, against a team that we're expected to do well, and, you know, Argyle fans would argue against a team that, uh, you know, 
TV and, and radio people prefer and want to do well. It just felt, it felt like you were taking on the world, really, in that game. And when Peter Hartley got that goal. Yeah. And, you know, I think, as a football fan, I don't know what your view on pitch invasions are when there's big games like that. But as a fan, purely as a fan, with my fans hat on, you know, when you're watching soccer, you're watching highlights and you see a team get promoted or get to Wembley and you see fans are onto the pitch. You, I, I remember thinking, oh, I'd love to see that Argo. And I remember <laughs> seeing that that day. I just thought, I can't believe this is happening. It was sort of a pinch me moment. I remember it so vividly. There was an awful lot of people on the pitch after that game. Definitely. You, could, you definitely couldn't ban everyone on the pitch and have no fans left. <laughs> exactly. Um, and fun, just, just going on from that, you know, I remember as well, really, I always wanted to go to a game at Wembley. And I remember that Wimbledon game. Well, I know it's not favourite game, but for the occasion, it was so good to get there. And it's bit, but do you know what? I wouldn't want another game at Wembley. I wouldn't want another playoff campaign. Top top three or top two is the way to go for me from now on. Definitely. I'm going to absolutely agree with you on that one. Don't want to do the playoffs ever again. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you, remember your, do you remember your first football match, Chris? Not as, a, not as an Argyle person, but just your first one you went to. Uh, my dad used to be a director of a football club in Kent, which was where I was born and, and raised. And um, he used to take me to all of their games on a, on a Saturday from I don't know four or five years old. Uh, so I would go and see them, and you know, it's you, your memories. What you what you can and can't remember is ridiculous. I could probably give you a pretty good guess, and I won't because it'd be extremely boring for everyone. But I reckon I could probably remember six, seven, or eight of the names of the Ramsgate players who would have been in the team that day. So um really it's but it's it's going back to some of the points that the guys raised earlier that the memories your first game or things like that really stick in your mind and I can't I can't remember if I've ever said this on the, on the podcast I, can't, I don't know if we've ever raised it but again being a Palace fan um since since a very young age my first ever game at Sellers Park was against Argyle. It was a 3-3 draw at uh, Sellers Park against Argyle. It was the Mariner and Rafferty season, that 74-75 season that we we just talked about. And, um, you know, I loved it. You know, a 3-3 draw got me hooked. And it's, it's slightly odd how my first game as a Palace fan at Sellers Park was against the team that I've ended up uh, reporting on for uh, for a few years. You say a few years, a quarter of a century, isn't it, Now You didn't need to go that far. <laughs> a few years. <laughs> uh, well, at least you've got to see the highs and the lows. But again, all these points that hmm. the people that have made, their first game, it goes to prove again, especially in this time where there's no football at the moment, how important it can be for people, whether that's for escapism, yeah. just for, 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 for leisure, for bond with family it just it just means so much to so many so we're all hopeful we all know it'll come back at some point and we just hope everyone stays safe and uh and can can do all they can when during this these next few weeks and um you're gonna have a half-time teaser for me when we do the podcast again on, on monday all being well jack half-time teaser will return i know there'll be there'll be about one person that's looking forward to it coming back so uh We'll definitely bring that back, and yeah, hopefully we'll be back on Monday. Yeah. Probably still not with the intro and outro because uh, no. all the equipment not with us at the moment. But no. the most important thing is we keep bringing the podcast and keep discussing football. And we're planning to send out a request for questions so we can maybe do a Q and A. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Thanks to everyone for their input today, um, and you know, hopefully you, you've uh, you know found this uh, you know little bit of a ramble between me and Jack um, has hopefully uh, given given your day a little bit extra, hopefully. So join us again on Monday and we'll be back with another episode.